Thank you for listening to the Bible preaching ministry of Dr. Tim Pollock at the Home Church of Lodi, California. You can get more information about our church and about starting a relationship with Jesus Christ at www.thehomechurch.net. Our prayer is that this message from God's Word will renew your heart and mind today. Well, good morning and happy Lord's Day to each of you. And God bless you for honoring our great God on His day, the first day. It has been a very fruitful season. And tonight we finished with our wonderful Summer's End celebration beginning here in the auditorium and then uh, a nice time of fellowship afterwards outside and uh, it's going to be a great fall I know God's going to give us a wonderful time together although for me uh, my liberated uh, no tie summer comes to an end I have a self-imposed rule uh, that I uh, take summers off with a tie thank you Jesus but uh, I'm back to being a normal guy It is a joy to be here with each of you, and if I haven't told you for a while, may I just tell you this morning, I love you. I'm so grateful to God for each of you, and I am very excited as we embark on a new series, Ask and Ye Shall Receive. One of the most often quoted verses of the New Testament, at least that statement, and it is also one of the most important of all verses, and so we look forward to this time. Our first uh, in the series is the motivation for prayer. Number one, the motivation for prayer. Now, most of us know we ought to pray. Many Christians, both vets and newbies alike, however, seem uncertain as to how, or at least how effectively. Thank the Lord. The infallible Word of God provides all the information necessary, takes all the guesswork really out of it, necessary to have a vibrant fellowship with God. And perhaps maybe more than information, what we need is inspiration. We just need that encouragement to get her done. Prayer is certainly an article of the faith but it is also an art of the fellow. It surely is. Communion with a loving, prayer-answering God as we travel through our earthly journey is our greatest blessing and certainly privilege. Prayer is God's appointed way to obtain the things that we need. Material things like food on the table or the table itself or jobs or healing Not only material things, but immaterial things like peace and joy and happiness and fulfillment. For many of us, uh, even though you might have a, what you would say, you feel like you have a healthy relationship with God, I would say that probably even you would say that your greatest struggle is that of being faithful or being effective in prayer. And as you survey scripture, whether it be Genesis all the way through the Old Testament, historical books, New Testament books, the same way, all mighty men and women of God had different backgrounds, different temperaments, different opportunities in their life. But in this, they were all alike. They asked God for things 
and they received them. How did they do that? Well, prayer in every care, prayer in every anxiety, prayer in every need is the means. It is the means that God has appointed for us to obtain what we need. And so without prayer, where would we be? I think you would agree with me, the prayer of a young child. Bless, dear God, take care of yourself too. Because if anything happens to you, God, we're sunk. <laughs> and that's the way I feel this morning. God, we need you because you are a prayer answering God. And so let's dedicate these next weeks to the Lord. We'll take a few little uh, interims uh, uh, here and there, but uh, for the next uh, time, a couple of months or so, maybe three, we'll be on this subject, glorious subject of prayer. Let's all bow our heads for prayer. Father, thank you. We dedicate these next weeks to you. We ask for a special and fresh anointing. Leave the things that you teach us from the Word. Here, eyes to see. And God, give us the humility to receive it. Teach us, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen. Let's begin in the book of James, the 20th book of the New Testament. However, thought by scholars to be the first book actually written. The author of James has an impressive pedigree, as he is none other than the half-brother of our Lord and Savior, and was also, as I like to say, the pastor of the First Baptist Church of Jerusalem. All right, so let's go to chapter 4 together in the book of James, and now we're going to join together in the public reading of God's holy word. And so we're going to read chapter 4, verses 1, 2, and 3. This really is the, uh, the text that we'll be uh, standing on for these weeks. All right, ready, begin. From whence come wars and fightings among you? Come they not hence, even of your lust, that war in your members? Ye lust and have not, ye kill and desire to have, and cannot obtain. Ye fight and war, yet ye have not, because you ask not. Ye ask and receive not, because ye ask amiss, that ye may consume it upon your lusts. The book of James has been called the Proverbs of the New Testament. Its consistent focus is that of practical holiness. The reason behind the first few verses of chapter 4 is to give some insight into the cause and the cure for some of the silly squabbling that had been going on among those believers. Early American author Mark Twain expressed a thought, an interesting thought on such a meaningless existence. Shortly before his death, he wrote the following paragraph, a myriad of men are born. They labor and sweat and struggle they squabble, scold, and scramble. Age creeps upon them, infirmities follow. Finally, the release comes at last. The only unpoisoned gift earth ever had for them. And they vanish from a world, a world which will lament them a day and forget them forever. How sad to spend all of our lives scolding and squabbling and all the skirmishes that we go through. Now, the overarching theme of the book of James, however, is that prayer is the answer to all of that. 
And that's what we're going to look at this morning, five reasons for prayer. What is the motivation behind prayer? First of all, because it works. That's why it works. Verse 1, from whence come wars and fightings among you? From whence come wars and fightings among you? It's true. Too many people spend their life in a fuss and a feather. It is not with their mate. It's with their friend. And it's not with their friends. It's with their family. It's at work. It's at home. And it's even at church. In fact, it seems for some misguided folk, they're simply not happy unless they're unhappy. Brilliant Bible commentary. Uh, commentator Matthew Henry had a keen insight, I think, on this part of the passage. Many of those Christians against whose errors this epistle was written seem to have quarrels. Our apostle informs them that the origin of their wars was not as they pretended for the honor of God, but for their own lusts were the cause. Sad, isn't it? Unhappiness, negativity was then and is still today pretty much everywhere. But what James is saying is the problem is not the problem. Now, you think that's the problem. That's not the problem. The real problem, as high, as noble as you made it out to be, as it says in verse number one, is it says in the second part of that verse, are your lusts. The word lust is the Greek word hedone, H-E-D-O-N-E, or the word pleasure. Some secret desire is really what it's at the bottom of everything. And my dad used to say some hankering that had a hold on them. Now let's get to the real heart of the problem. Let's go to verse 2. You lust, you have not. You kill and you desire to have and cannot obtain. You fight, you war, you have not, yet because you ask not. Now if this verse tells us anything, it tells us three different times that it's the natural heart that will never be content. Notice what it says, you have not, you cannot obtain, you have not. Three different times it says you're reaching, you're desiring, you're hankering, you got to have it, you're lusting, hedone. You want that so bad. The strange thing, James says, after all the energy spent, after all we go through, often you find you're not really happy at all. Trying to find lasting satisfaction from the things of this world and not spiritual things is nothing more than a mirage, and yet it seems like generation after generation falls into the same habit. In 19, excuse me, in 1849, a wagon train from Illinois was traveling through Death Valley. An appropriate uh, story, I think, at this time of the year, with being so hot. But uh, this particular wagon train had left, uh, planning to go to the gold rush. It was known as the, uh, the Manly Party of 1849. They decided to look for a shortcut through Death Valley, looked ahead and saw a sheet of water, at least they believed it was. They thought it was Owens Lake, but in fact was only a mirage created by the intense heat. And the harder they pressed and the more frustrated they became until they lost their very lives. And for us as well, it seems that the oasis that all of us are looking for, whatever it might be, seemingly within our reach and lusting and going after, here James says, it's a mirage unless you're asking it and getting it from God. 
Life without God at the center is a mad pursuit, leaving us only with a dying thirst. Notice verse number two, you lust, you kill, you fight. Wow, that's a pretty much a description of life for many people. Hedone and killing and fighting and every day you wake up and I mean, it's just the same thing after another. And God said, and yet, strangely enough, that mirage, that thing you're going after is only a mirage. It's not even real. Yet, it says in that verse, yet, simply, you don't have because you don't really ask God. We don't really consult God in our undertakings. We don't really commit our way to His honor and glory. And strangely, really, because we're the children of a king, and we don't even ask that king for the things that he's willing to give. We never really petition our royal dad. We don't have the job that really meets our needs because we don't ask for it. We don't really We really don't have decisions we need to make. We don't really have at play. Not only we don't ask, is that we ask in the wrong way. And that's what leads us to verse number three. There are some who do ask. You ask, but you don't receive because you ask amiss that you may consume it upon your own lust. Now, sometimes we pray for success and yet our aim really isn't godliness. Our aim really isn't God's glory, it's for ourselves. It's simply to satisfy some pride or some passion. In fact, our request to our kingly God, He who is the royal one, is not obligated to answer the whim of every one of His subjects just because He's such a prayer answering God. When that request is not for His glory, but for our own good, or sometimes merely for our gut, if I might say. The fact of the matter is, when we seek anything so that we can serve God with it, we can expect to get it. I'll say that again. If we can ask anything that's for His glory and we can serve God better, then I tell you one thing, we can expect God to give it. A loving God will somehow give it to us or will make a way for our heart to be content without it or give us opportunity some other way to glorify Him. Sometimes then our failure in prayer is not the wrong end, but also the wrong means in that perhaps it's not with faith. We have the right desire, but it's not done in the right way. There's no Bible promise we're standing on. We're just expecting God to fulfill whatever spouts out of the top of our head. No faith, really. Doubt sees the obstacles. Faith sees the way. Faith seizes the day. Faith soars on high. Doubt questions, who believes God? Faith answers, I. And so sometimes it's not only that it's done with the wrong end in mind, but the wrong means. It's not done with faith. Also, it may not be done with fervency, we find later in this same book. And that is we mouth the words 
but we don't mean the words. And so that's really the journey that we embark on as we go through these next few weeks. Faith and fervency, how to build up both with the right end in mind and the right means. And I'm telling you what, I am believing God that He is going to do things in our lives that long time. In fact, it's been said, if you have a long try, that's a good one. What is prayer? First of all, for prayer. Number two, weapon. Prayer is a weapon. Now, many, especially in today's world, might wonder why we as Christians, peace-loving people, need weapons. Well, we're not really talking about uh, weapons here, we're talking about spiritual weapons, but I will say this about weapons. You know, uh, Scripture is very clear that He allows self-defense. Even Jesus Himself endorsed it. You may remember to His disciples in Luke chapter 22, before His crucifixion, He told them, He said, guys, there's going to be some rough sailing ahead, and He said, you may need to sell your coat so that you can buy a sword. Now, the word sword there is a word for dagger. It's a personal uh, type of safety weapon. He wasn't saying you need to sell your coat so you can buy a dirty bomb or something like that. That's not what we're talking about. But I will tell you, it's been crazy over the last 50 years in America. Churches now, as part of their ministry, have to have a trained security team. I mean, if you don't have it, it you, who knows what could happen? We regularly have issues here at the church, minor ones to this point, thank the Lord. A few Sunday nights ago, we had a menacing and agitated man demanding entrance into the auditorium and the services. He was met by two of our big security team members who politely informed him that he was not going to be able to go in there and cause any trouble, and so they escorted him out. Thank God we have those kind of men around here. And I would say again, we do have people with weapons here all over the building. And so um, we're here because we believe that we are to defend our families. But what Scripture is not, that's not what here what Paul is talking about. We're going to go to Ephesians chapter 6. The kind of weapons he's talking about are spiritual. And while we need to have the other kind of weapons at times, we certainly must have spiritual weapons. Why do we need weapons? Why are there so many stories in the Bible about wars? Because, folks, we're in a fight. We're in a fight for souls. We're in a fight for righteousness. I know right now it's crazy in America, but it's just kind of more visual now. Everybody's on the internet. Everybody's connected. But let's go to Ephesians chapter 6. Here we find the wise apostle speaking about armor. He tells us that the armor, the devil is out to get us. He's going to shake us and destroy us, and he never stops. He is cunning. He is intoxicatingly alluring. He is vicious, and he never rests. He's out to get our children, our marriages, our homes, our uh, careers. I tell you, he's out to ever plotting the downfall of a child of God. 
And if we let down even for a second, even one second, we put our shield down. We're tired, but God said, don't do it. Keep that armor there. And then in verse 18, so let's go past the armor. That's kind of a normal place we would uh, go through. But I want to talk about prayer. Look at verse 18. So we've put our armor on. We got our shield in place, got our helmet, got our breastplate of righteousness. And now what do we do? How do we activate this whole thing? Look at verse 18. Praying always with all prayer. The idea is all kinds of prayer. Not only at all times, which is appropriate, but every kind of prayer. Group prayer and individual prayer and silent prayer and shouting prayer and singing prayer and walking prayer and kneeling prayer and groaning prayer and constant prayer and fervent prayer and claiming God's name in prayer and quoting the Bible prayer. Folks, God works when people pray. Just pray. Get your gear on. All while you've got that breastplate on and you're covering your Then pray because prayer is the air that a soldier of Christ breathes. Prayer is the soldier's calm line, a hotline to heaven. It's our very connection to headquarters. And when you're on the front lines of the war, all headquarters, hey, here. And that's what prayer is week about the war in Ukraine, and it's so sad. Missionaries from the home church, Joel and Lord in the Kiev area, but I was reading how the Ukraine military was actually some success. It's an uphill battle for them. But one of the things they were doing was that they were knocking out the comm lines of the Russian aggressors. And that's one of the... In our war, if the devil can knock out our comm line, we're in big trouble. The sad thing is most people don't use that communication line to God, like talking to headquarters. It's almost like a home intercom system calling the butler. Oh, I need another pillow. I need another iced tea. God says, hey, we're in a war here. And so God says we ought to pray about everything. Now look at verse 18 again. Watching thereunto with all perseverance. So we're supposed to pray with perseverance, tenacity, Determination, resolve. But notice what it says, all perseverance. Now, perseverance is an interesting word. It's from the Greek word proskarterio. The first three letters, P-R-O, pro, which means like proactive. It means you're pushing towards something. He is saying we ought to be proactive. We ought to be persisting in it and in earnest towards it. It also is, it comes from the root word, which means to devote something. So when we become devoted to prayer, but most people, it's just, you know, a lick and a prayer and they're on their way. But God says we ought to be persistent in it, devoted to it, proactive in it. In Mark chapter 3 and verse 19, Jesus told his disciples to go get a boat. And then he said, we are going to devote it to what we're doing. And that's the same exact Greek word, devote, set it aside, make it happen. 
For some reason, as I was going through this passage and devotedness and persistence, no matter how long it took, the story came to my mind I read about a couple of years ago. I looked it up online again. Dashroth Manji, famously known as the mountain man, single-handedly carved a path through a mountain pass in the state of Bihar in India. He gave 22 years to his village and made a difference in their lives, saved them many hours and safety by being able to go over this small pass. How did he do such a thing? He just kept shoveling. He just kept shoveling. It's been said the best test of a person's character is what it takes to stop him. And too often we quit shoveling. We kept stop praying because oh, we just don't see any results. I wonder how many times he felt like this is ridiculous. Why am I doing this? But just keep shoveling. That's the same thing we ought to do in prayer. Some people come to the battles of life and they run as soon as the first shot is fired. Others go through that battle time after time, never with any thought of quitting. Some people pray, others people are devoted to prayer. And while some people under confidence is the problem, really don't even think prayer works. Sometimes overconfidence, meaning we think that we don't need prayer because, well, uh, we're better than that. Winston Churchill said to Britain in the early days of World War II, he said, I must drop one word of caution. For next to cowardice and treachery, overconfidence leading to neglect and slothfulness is the worst of wartime crimes. Yes, Satan will try every means he can, underconfidence in the value of prayer and overconfidence. I really don't need to pray. But let's look further in this verse, verse 18. Praying always with all prayer and supplication in the Spirit, watching thereunto with all perseverance and supplication for all saints. Twice he uses the word supplication. And in the last part, he says, supplication for all saints. What does the word supplication actually mean? Well, it just really means request, or maybe a more interesting word, petition, as in making a petition to the court or making a petition to someone who is an authority. It's actually the Greek word desis. It was used several places, it's used several places in the New Testament. For example, in Luke chapter 1, verse 13, here God assured the father, the godly father of John the Baptist, keep on supplicating. Even though the word is translating as prayer, it's the same word, desis. But the angel said unto him, fear not, stop being so fearful, Zacharias, which means Jehovah remembers, for thy prayer, desis, specifically that God would open the womb of his wife, shall bear thee a son, and you'll call his name John. He kept supplicating. He kept praying. He was devoted to it. He kept praying for others. And then there's Paul, who gave that amazing supplication in Romans chapter 10 for the salvation of his fellow Israelites. There in Romans chapter 10, brethren, my desire and prayer, desis. He to God is that they might be saved. 
our armor on. And when we get too weak to keep on going, we can always pray for others. Praying with all prayer. That means weeping prayers and single word prayers and groaning in the spirit and prayers of confession and prayers of thanksgiving and supplication. When you can't feel empty, you feel dry, you feel like you don't know what to say, then we can always pray for somebody else. And that's what God is saying here. The power of praying for somebody else is the power of supplication. Think of some child of God and pray for them. And then watch what God begins to do in your spirit. The Bible says in the book of Job that God turned the captivity of Job. When did God do that? When he began to pray for his friends. I read one testimony who said they only found success in prayer after they had first prayed for their pastor. I said, boy, that sounds like a good testimony right there. A good plan. Not only is it a win for the pastor, it's a win for those who pray. And folks, I will tell you, that's exactly what Paul must have felt. Because the very next verse, look what he says. Pray for me. Supplicate for me. Verse 19. Supplicate may be given unto me. Your prayers are making a difference in my life. That I may be open to my mouth boldly to make known the mystery of the gospel. When you don't know what else to pray, start praying for your pastor. Dear God, we thank you for our pastor, for the shepherd he is to all he meets, guiding them and caring for them. Thank you for his wisdom, for the words of truth that he reveals from the Bible. Thank you for his faith, for the exuberance of his praise and the passion of his prayers. Lord, we pray for this man of God. Please come and be his shepherd. Protect him. Guard his mind. Minister to his heart. Come and be his anchor. Come, fill his vision. Please lift his eyes to see the beauty of your kingdom. Come, renew his hope. We ask that you would fill his sails of his heart with your goodness and eternal truth. In the name of Jesus Christ, our Lord, amen. amen. Everybody needs prayer. Your pastor needs prayer. If you would just begin to supplicate, it'd be amazing what would happen. In fact, I will tell you another little secret. There is an incredible power over your own vices and your own issues when praying for somebody else, surprisingly so. You would imagine that if I'm going to conquer something, I need to pray for myself. Strangely, it's often actually the opposite. It's not praying for myself, but by when that temptation comes, you begin to pray for somebody else. The minute that passion grips you to do something you know you probably shouldn't or say something you probably shouldn't or whatever, then begin to pray for somebody. Somebody who would be an amazing transformation of God would get a hold of that soul. Sometimes we refer to that as a prayer target. Get a prayer target in your mind before you even start the day. All right, Lord, if the devil comes at me, I'm going to pray for so-and-so. It could be some person, woman of God, or man of God, or a pastor, or whoever, just that God would so do something and have a prayer target when feelings of depression, when feelings like you're not worth anything, or like whatever, bitterness or anger, just 
or some vice that wants to grip you, begin to pray for somebody else. Intercede for them. Folks, people need our prayers. Instead of always talking about people and their issues, why don't we pray for people? That's what supplication is. God says it would make such a difference. And I will tell you, people around us would love to know that we are praying for them. And whether they even know it or not, they love and would be so grateful for our prayers. A pastor of a small church was asked to call on a woman in a psychiatric hospital and pray for her. After he had the visit there, he thought, how good it would be if somebody would go regularly there and pray for all the residents. Well, that somebody turned out to be him. On a table, he went to one of the units, and with permission, he put a little sign up that said, free prayer. He said, by the time I got my sign set up, free prayer, he said, I looked up and there were 15 people in line wanting to be prayed for. I will tell you folks, people want to be prayed for. It's supplication because it works, number one, because number two, it's a weapon, number three, because it is weighty. Why should we pray? Because it is not some meaningless, menial, just spouting off of words. Folks, it is essential. Prayer is indispensable. In Acts chapter 6, the responsibilities in that early church were beginning to just multiply. They needed to be extra workers, and the workers they did have just needed to be able to focus on what was important. And then those perfect, excuse me, those human but imperfect, but dedicated apostles indicated our priority needs to be prayer. Look what it says in Acts chapter 6 and verse 4. We will give ourselves continually to prayer. We will give ourselves to prayer and to the ministry of the Word. Folks, that's a sense of dedication. That's like a ministry. I want to be dedicated. It wasn't drudgery. It was a beautiful dedication. By the way, that's not only a great pattern for the early day apostles. It's a great pattern for the everyday disciples. In fact, one eye-opening Christianity Today survey. Listen to this. This shocked me. The average Christian spends only three minutes a day in prayer. The average Christian. These are Bible-believing, church-attending Christians. Only three minutes a day in prayer. Now, I will say, thank God for that three minutes. I will say that. And I will also say a lot can happen in three minutes. And sometimes, frankly, maybe especially moms, when your feet hit the ground, I mean, things start rolling, that's about all you got sometimes. But to do that consistently is to miss the point of giving ourselves to prayer. I learned a long time ago that the very best thing that I can do for my wife, for my children, and for the people who call me pastor is to be a prayed up man of God. And that takes more than just a couple of minutes. It takes some significant time in the Word of God. I know that there are some ministers out there. My heart goes out to them, unlike our church, which is so supportive of me and my time. They're expected to attend every conference, every denominational meeting, jump through every kind of a hoop. I had to laugh when I read the little story. A well-known uh, late uh, Dr. Adrian Rogers, uh, well-known Baptist pastor, he told this story about a man who went into a pet store and bought a parakeet. They had two parakeets, and the store associate said, well, I've got 
one for $100, and I got one for 25 He said, well, they look alike to me. What's the difference? He said, well, the $100 parakeet can sing and talk real well, but the $25 parakeet doesn't sing that much, but he can talk a little bit. Man said, well, I want to save some money. I'll take the $25 parakeet. After a week, he went back to the pet store, and he said, he hasn't said a word. The man said, well, did he peck a little bell? He said, well, you didn't say anything about a little bell. He said, oh, yeah, he has to peck a little bell before we'll talk. Well, do you have any bells? He said, yeah, I've got one for $5. And so he bought the little bell, and he went there and put it in the cage. Came back a week later and said, he still hasn't said a word. He said, well, he, did he run up and down the little ladder? He said, you didn't say anything about a ladder. He said, well, he's got to have a little ladder. And he said, well, how much is the little ladder? He said, well, I got one for $10. So he bought a little ladder, came back the third week and said, hey, look, that bird still hasn't said a word. He said, well, did he look in the little mirror? Man said, what little mirror? He said, we got to have a mirror. He said, I got one for $15, sold in the mirror, came back the next week. Listen, that bird, I'm telling you, hasn't uttered even a peep. He said, did he swing on the little swing? He said, well, how much is the swing? He said, only $30, and he bought the swing. And then he came back, and again, he said, let me tell you about that parakeet. That bird pecked the bell. He ran up and down the ladder. That little bird looked in the mirror. He got on that swing. He went back and forth, and then he shuddered. He shivered. He fell over backward. He stuck his little feet up in the air, and he looked over me, and he said, don't they sell any bird seed in that store where you go to? <laughs> yeah. So many churches have their pastor pecking bells and running up ladders and swinging on swings. There's no time for the real meat of the word and to pray and to get something done. Paul seemed to understand the weightiness of that. Look what he says in Romans chapter 1, verse 9. He told his fellow believers, he said, for God is my witness. <laughs> That's a strong statement. Um, know that we ought to say that very often, but he said, for God is my witness, whom I serve with my spirit in the gospel of a son, that without ceasing, now that's dedication, without ceasing, I make mention of you always in my prayer. Do you have a brother and sister in Christ that you just, for some reason, can't get off your mind? Then God's calling you to pray for them. Do you have somebody in the middle of the night that comes to your mind and God's calling you to pray for them? You say, well, I don't really have a long time. Aren't you glad it doesn't say, I prayed for them for two hours? Well, look at what it says. I made mention of them. I just mentioned their name. That's all I did is mention their name to God. Folks, it doesn't take a lot of time to mention their name. Now, I will tell you, I like this verse. Because I've got over 50 grandkids I pray for. And uh, i got so many grandkids, they're thinking about creating a union in uh, there. And I need to just pray for them. God, I make mention of them in my prayers. Prayer allows us to touch people you can't even speak to. Maybe you haven't seen in a long time. You just make mention of them. But we confuse busyness with being productive Folks, we need to admit the fact is that prayer is productiveness. We need to stop and pray. And our prayers may not always be perfect, and sometimes the message gets garbled. One mother heard her three-year-old daughter answer the phone in the next room. The mother was having her devotions. 
The little daughter answered the phone and said, my mom is having her emotions now. Can she call you back? Well, I will tell you, there's nothing wrong with getting a little emotional when you're having your devotions with the Lord. Five reasons for prayer. It works. It's a weapon. It is weighty. And thank God it supplies our wants. Now, we are needy people. We are humans. (laughs) We are needy people. We need food constantly. About every few minutes, my wife says about me. What is it? We go on a little vacation, you're hungry every minute. Well, I don't know. I'm just a needy guy. We are needy people. We need sleep. We need water. We need cool. We need warm. I mean, we need pleasure. We need joy. I mean, we, did, we are needy people. I mean, every second we're needy. Aren't we glad that God's okay with that? Look what it says on Hebrews chapter 4 and verse 16. I think one of the sweetest and simplest verses in the Bible an incredibly gracious and yet deep invitation. Let us therefore come boldly. Don't just tiptoe up to the throne. Man, come in like you own the place. Why? Now, this is probably a reference to the Holy of Holies, but it very well could be a reference to the heavenly throne. Either way, it's a great truth. Come boldly to God that we may obtain mercy to find grace to help in the time of need. The book of Hebrews was predominantly focused to the Hebrew believers. It was to them, but thank God it is for us. We get so much rich material out of the book of Hebrews. They resonated with that thought. What? I can go into the Holy of Holies? Are you kidding me? Yes, we can because Jesus... That's really the theme of Hebrews. Jesus is more better. Jesus is better than any of the things out there. He took that perfect sacrifice. He went there and took his own blood, and he took down that wall of partition. Now anybody can go to the Holy of Holies. But it could be referring to the fact that not only is it the Holy of Holies, but it is the throne. And we walk into the throne room, and there we look up and unbelievably, the bridegroom. We're the church, the church of God, his bride, and the bridegroom is on the throne. Why? No wife that I know of that loves her husband, husband loves her wife, they wouldn't feel bad about asking for something. And there, not only do we see on the throne someone who is capable, but someone who is lovable. And notice what it says, you find grace to help in the time of need. In the time of need. Clearly from this verse, God doesn't, isn't bothered when we come to him in the time of need. I hear people say, the only time you pray is when you need something. Well, that's okay (laughs) because we're needy people and we're always needing something. Now it's true. We ought to worship God for just who he is, but folks, We are needy people, and God's okay with that. He said, in the time of need, in the very time of need, and you will find grace. Now, you may not get the perfect answer you want. You may not get everything settled right now, but God said you'll find grace. Now, there's a a key to that, though. James 4 and verse 6 says he gives grace to the humble. If we're willing to bow the knee to the plan of God, we're willing to give 
uh, our hearts to God and understand God and let Him have His way, then God said you'll find immediate help and you'll be surprised what He will do. In the very time of need, God answers prayer. Billy Graham, the well-known American evangelist, was holding a crusade at Shea Stadium in New York. Airplanes from LaGuardia Airport flying over the stadium dozens by the hour, roaring those engines. On the opening night of the counselor's training, Graham was talking from the podium as the jets were roaring overhead. He paused, he glanced up, and he said, oh, this won't do. He bowed his head in front of everybody. He said, Lord, we ask you to shift the wind and some way send these planes in another direction. Thank you, Lord. Amen. The counselors were shocked at such a prayer, had no idea what to expect. Amazingly, God did exactly that. He answered the prayer. And the morning newspaper reported that the winds had changed during the night so dramatically that the airplanes over Shea Stadium had to be routed another way. And that crusade went on and thousands of souls came to Christ. In the time of need, God can change the wind. Folks, that's what God asks for because it works, because it's a weapon, because it's weighty, because it supplies our wants. But finally this morning, because it frees us from worrying. I tell you what, it is so easy to go through life and you keep picking up loads. Things to worry about. The other day I was walking someplace here, I forget where it was, uh, but these eucalyptus trees around here have some gooey little seed thing. I don't know what they are, but if you walk over by them, you'll get a few on the bottom of your shoe and then a few more on the bottom of your shoe. The more you walk pretty soon, you're shoes are about an inch higher. You're just kind of walking on those things. As we go through life, we just pick up all this load. And it seems like everything that comes in on us just is harder and harder. Folks, you cannot live. You cannot be a God-fearing Christian, a Bible-loving, Jesus-loving Christian without being grieved every day. The news shocks us. It grieves us. And it's easy to feel hopeless. So read this verse. Philippians chapter 4, verse 6. Be careful for nothing. Don't worry about it. But in everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known unto God. And the peace of God, which passeth all understanding, shall keep your hearts and minds through Christ Jesus. You say, oh yeah, well it sounds real nice, but it doesn't sound real unrealistic. It sounds kind of unrealistic to me. But Paul clarifies, he is not saying, don't worry be happy. Don't worry. Be happy. He's not saying that. Folks, that is a fool's motto, frankly. He's not saying, don't worry, be happy. He's saying, don't worry, pray about it. Keep shoveling. Get up there, get your shovel, and just start shoveling away. Be careful for nothing. Now, Greek scholars say the construction of that sentence is very unique in that nothing is at the beginning of the sentence. Nothing be worried in. He did that, obviously, for emphasis. And it's a, by the way, it's a command. It's not a suggestion. It's like saying, do not lie. It's saying, 
Don't worry. Nothing to worry about. And it's in the present tense, meaning it is meant to be something you do constantly. Here is what one um, Greek scholar says it might render the first part of the verse. Stop worrying and do not under any circumstances worry about anything. Stop letting your stomach get all tied up in knots. Stop letting your blood pressure just skyrocket and stop letting yourself get all your headaches. Folks, you'd say, well, pastor, that sounds all good, but I don't, life's not that easy. And we not, life is a, a real, there's problems everywhere. One person said, you can't, you can tell when it's going to be a rotten day. You turn on the news and they're showing emergency routes out of the city. Your horn goes off accidentally and remains stuck as you follow a group of hell's angels on the freeway. <laughs> Your birthday cake collapses from the weight of candles. Now that's getting a little too close to home right there. Your twin sister forgot your birthday. <laughs> you know it's going to be a bad day when the bird singing outside your window is a buzzard. <laughs> it's true, life has some issues, and there are some things that certainly worry us, but Paul didn't say, don't worry, be happy. He said, pray about it. Stop. Quit worrying for a second and pray about it. Because here's what'll happen. It'll keep your hearts, that's your emotional issues, the matters of the heart, and your mind, the mental health concerns you have, it'll keep them. Who does it? Jesus does that. You'd say, well, can we pray about anything? Yes. No time, no subject, no place, no limits. Nothing too big for God, nothing too small. There's nothing too great for God's power and nothing too small for His fatherly care. A child can bring anything to his father, no matter how famous he is or how strong or big he is. A child can bring anything to their dad, and so can we. Someone once asked, is it all right to bring small things to the Lord? <laughs> the answer, is there anything that looks big to God? <laughs> Folks, everything is small to God, and so we can take everything to Him in prayer. What could be more plain this morning? Careful for nothing, prayerful for everything, thankful for anything. God is ready to work on our behalf. He is just listening for the voice of prayer. Will he hear it? Will he hear it from you this week? Will he hear it from our church? Will we supplicate? Will we pray for others? Will we come to him in the time of need? I believe we will. And I'm glad to say God answers prayer. Our heads are bowed and our eyes are closed. We hope you enjoyed listening to the preaching and teaching from God's Word today. You can get more information about our church and about starting a relationship with Jesus Christ at www.thehomechurch.net. From all of us here at The Home Church in Lodi, California, thank you for joining us.